Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you at home have a Bible and know your way around, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, the front of the book you have in front of you has got a table of contents. Or if you're using a digital Bible, just type in 1 and then Corinthians, C-O-R-I-N, and then it'll pop up, it'll fill in. 1 Corinthians 12. If you were with us last week, you know we started a brand new sermon series called One Body, Many Parts, where we're going to talk about what the church is. It's super common to talk about church. We talk about it like it's a place, go to church. But you read the Bible and you see really clearly you can't go to a family, right? You're a part of that family. Or the image that Paul's going to give us here in 1 Corinthians, a body. If you're a pinky, you cannot go to the body. You stay attached to it, right? Yeah, Pastor Dennis is with me. He knows I'm already preaching. So it's critical... The thing about analogies and illustrations, it's critical that if the Bible gives us one, use it. That doesn't mean there aren't other analogies. Today I'm going to use a sports analogy, and I know some of you just groaned right now. You don't have to know any of the rules of football to understand what I'm going to say today. But the point is, you could talk about a team, you can talk about a body, and you can talk about a family, and all of those are really good and healthy analogies Uh, because they crush some of the sins of independence. When I think I don't need you, or when you think you don't need me. Uh, So today, part two specifically, we are going to, let's see, there we go. Christianity is a team sport. That's my main idea that I'm trying to get across today. This is not Olympic wrestling where you just train your body and you beat the other guy. That's not what's going on here. This is a team sport where everything that uh, anybody who says they love Jesus, everything that we do or do not do is going to affect other people who love Jesus. So uh, let's read together. I'm going to read most, you know, a good, goodly chunk of this chapter, and then we're going to do some teaching out of the chapter. Start with me at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 4. There are many different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Mind you, he's talking to Christians. This is a letter to a church, okay? Christians are given a gift by the Holy Spirit who's inside of them because of the faith they put in Christ's cross To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, that one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. 
He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit, whether we like it or not. That might have been Greg's standard version there, that little part I added there. Verse 14, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. And those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Holy Spirit, would you please teach us truth today for those of us who are Christians about who we are and how we're supposed to be loving and serving one another And Holy Spirit, teach those of us today that do not yet love Jesus. Would you please show us, God, what it is we are going to be getting ourselves into if we decide to trust Christ, what the body of Christians is supposed to look like. Please teach us really well and effectively. Give us soft hearts ready to listen. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen. Okay, here we go. Six points today, regulars know to be afraid because my three-point sermons take forever, so I'm going to try to keep it at a clip, but there are undeniably at least six things we have to address from what we just read. An isolated Christian cannot use their spiritual gift. 
I know I'm supposed to sit here and we're supposed to feel it out and talk about our opinions and, well, you have a perspective and I have a perspective. But there's a problem. Verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. If you have a more word-for-word translation, it's going to say, for the common good. In other words, it's not about you. Not if you're a Christian, anyway. And it's not about me. An isolated Christian, you can't use your spiritual gift. So, instead of waiting to the end of the sermon to do practical application, I'm going to share an idea I think that would be good and healthy after each of these six things. I want you to join a disciple group to use your spiritual gift. That's what I want you to do. There are so many things, if you read in the scriptures the different lists of spiritual gifts and how they interplay with each other, you go, if you're really honest, if you're really honest, let's present, pretend coronavirus didn't exist right now, and we are gathering in a group of 100, 120 people during a single service to sing and to listen to the sermon and chat with people in the way and in prayer time and giving and all these things. If you're really, really honest, as you read the Bible, there are spiritual gifts that would never get used during a worship service. Because during a worship service, we have the audacity to say, shush, listen to Pastor Greg. You don't get to talk, right? But if you get to do relationship really deeply the way you do in a healthy Bible study, right? In a healthy Sunday school class, everybody getting to know each other, their strengths and weaknesses, and these are the sins that are kicking my butt, and here's how I need you to pray for me. Here's where I need help trusting God. Spiritual gifts are going to come alive. And this isn't some new idea. The book of Acts tells us they met in Solomon's colonnade, the large group place where Peter could preach and they would all listen to Peter, and house to house. And if you think that's, you know, too rigid or pharisaical, I just want to point out to you, they met in house to house every single night when their work was done. No one has asked you to come to church seven days a week, once in the large group and six times in small group. No one here has asked you to do that. If we did it, we might be taking our faith more seriously. So maybe that's a good idea, but no one's asking you to do that. But I do want you to consider joining a disciple group. And I thought, again, that sounds crazy. I know that everybody's, we're talking about quarantine and, and staying away from each other. We have four groups functioning on Zoom right now. And, and that's why, you know, this series was planned before coronavirus. Well, God knew coronavirus. I planned this series <laughs> a few months ago. But the fact is we've got teachers that have pivoted and that have put solid Bible teaching online and connectivity more, you know, to each other through Zoom, where you can talk to each other, pray for each other, listen to each other, right? This is you if you are isolated, okay? You might have the team jersey on, and you might fly the team flag, and you can cheer and shout and go, yay, but you're not actually a part of the team because you're not on the field. Brothers and sisters, you've got to get on the field. And I understand on the field is where injuries happen. If you pull a hamstring sitting in that seat, you have serious health issues. <laughs> this guy's not going to get hurt, is he? There are risks to community. There are risks to authentic relationship. And yet, no one's going to move the ball down the field. No one's ever going to find victory if we don't get on the field together and run some plays. Second, the Christian has no right to tell God, 
The church doesn't need me. I'm not even going to go back into the text. I just read it. Most of you guys, if you've been in church for a while, you've read this hundreds of times. So I'm not even going to go back and prove my point. You and I do not have the right to tell God that. Jesus bled and died to take that person who's frustrating you and bring them from darkness into light. And they're a part of your church family. And you and I are going to sit there and condemn it and say, God, you wasted your blood. You wasted your blood making them a part of this family. Yeah, guys, we, we all irritate each other. Welcome. It's a real family. It's a real family. We all have beef over something. But the family of God, we have the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to be gracious with each other because everybody's got sharp edges. Everybody does. Welcome. If you're not a part of the church because you're still investigating Christianity, if you personally have been hung up by this trope of Christians are hypocrites, Christians are hypocrites, yeah, read the Bible. The Bible is so clear that Jesus is the only one who's not a hypocrite. This is a faith that is all about the perfection of Jesus Christ. It is not about the perfection of broken people like you or me. A Christian doesn't get to say to God, church doesn't need me. I actually preached my fourth point before my second. Sorry, I'm getting excited. I, got, I, w- I moved actually to a different part of the text. Paul makes both arguments. This is the one where he's saying he doesn't need me. It's, it's kind of the moping, that sad, that my gift isn't needed, you know, kind of a thing. And I want to encourage you, join a disciple group, because that group needs you. You guys are seeing a theme. Did you know that there's a group of Christians somewhere? If, you, if you're a Christian, the Bible just said this, by the way. If you are a Christian, there's a group of Christians somewhere that needs you. And I encourage you not to hop from church to church to church thinking that that group is always somewhere else. There's a group of Christians that needs you. God says so. God says so. This is Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts lined up in a play against the Dallas Cowboys, I believe, or the Raiders. I can't tell from the colors there. Number 74 here, I don't know if you can see if the image is that good at home, but that is a guy playing a position called the left tackle. And for decades and decades and decades in the NFL, the left tackle was paid about the same amount of money as everybody else in the offensive line. Until somebody wrote a book in 2004 called The Blind Side and made the argument that since most quarterbacks are right-handed and they're going to not be able to see someone rushing at them from that side, that the left tackle is the second most important position on the field, even though he's just a big dude and his job is just to keep this guy, this pass rusher over here, just keep this guy in front of you. That's it. That's your whole, you had one job, right? He has one job. And just a few short years after that book was written, that left tackle across the NFL became the second highest paid player on the field on average. Higher than wide receivers, higher than running backs. If you're not a football person, that doesn't mean anything to you. But here's my point. The position was always important, irrespective of whether or not everybody realized it. That's my point. Okay? You, if you are on the field, you are needed. There is a role for you. There is a place for you. And, and the word of God just said, you were given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. Quit calling him stupid. 
Quit calling him foolish. Quit calling the Holy Spirit incompetent. Quit calling him a liar. You would never stand in front of the Almighty God and to his face call him a liar or foolish or incompetent. You wouldn't do it. So when he hands you a spiritual gift and tells you to get on the field, yes, you are needed. Do it. The left tackles, they spent 60 years thinking the left tackle wasn't that big of a deal until they stopped and thought about it. And they go, you know what? When the left tackle has a, has a bad cold, you know, things go poorly. Like, when Clay Matthews is able to give your quarterback a nice big hug. At home, I can't see your hands, but do you like hugs? Anybody at home like hugs? Does Andrew like, does Andrew Luck, does he like hugs? It doesn't look like he's enjoying himself. This is what happens if you think that you are not needed and so you don't show up and do your job. Somebody else on the field suffers. Now let me ask you something else. The running back who's paid millions of dollars, is he running the ball right now if dodging and weaving defenders, moving the ball forward down the field? No, because it's right there in the air. And God knows who's going to get it after it bobbles around, right? What about the highly paid wide receivers? Are they going to catch the ball and make this amazing play, touchdown, yeah, I'm awesome? Is that going to happen? No, because the ball's about, you know, fall into the ground. Everybody else on the field that thinks that they are playing a role and things are going to be great, nothing is going to happen. Nobody's gifts are going to get used effectively. Here's my point. There is an effect when you are missing. There's an effect when you are missing. Third, a church family is designed by God, not by mere mortals, not by people like you and me. And I mean that for the family of God, you know, the church across 2,000 years and culture and time, you know, I mean that for the local church, the ecclesia, and I mean that for your small group. Uh, whether you're in a, uh, a Bible study or a Sunday school class or a disciple group or BSF or whatever, do you or do you not believe that God put it together? Verse 18. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part, part just where he wants it. This is the analogy Paul's using. Your physical body, you and I didn't choose where the spleen goes and where the liver goes and where my pinkies go. I, I didn't choose that. You didn't choose that. It's a good thing that we have a wise creator who put us together and then put the church family together, each with a part. So since the church family is designed by God and not by people, I want you to join a disciple group as a statement of you trusting God. Do it as a statement of trust. God, I trust that your word is true. You are actually designing the family of faith and how they connect to each other and how they relate to each other. For some of us, isolation is a statement of a lack of trust, not just toward people, but ultimately toward God. This is... Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. And some of you may recall that 
when Jordan wanted to take a shot at baseball. He went and did that. He retired early from the game of basketball, went and played baseball, didn't pan out. And when he was looking to re-sign with the Bulls, when he was looking to come back, he, he made it very clear. He says, I only play for Phil Jackson. And when the best player in the world says, I only play for, like, you just do what you got to do, right? You see, Michael Jordan trusted Phil Jackson implicitly. It had been earned. And in sports, disobedience and ignoring the coach, I mean, doesn't that come from some kind of arrogance perhaps, but for sure it comes from the lack of trust. This coach has not proved himself. This coach was a bumbling idiot the last four seasons. I wish I wasn't on this team with this coach. Christians, your coach is not an idiot. Christians, your coach knows what he's doing. It's going to be okay. I know you have an opinion. I know I have an opinion. But whether coach says, get in the game or sit on the bench for now and take some rest or go left or go right, whatever coach says, it is crazy for Christians to not trust the God who would die for us. That's crazy. We do it all the time. I do it a thousand times a day. I distrust God in one way or the other. But we need to be continually repenting of that lack of trust. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Fourth, the Christian has no right to tell God, the church doesn't need them. Here's the point I was accidentally preaching earlier. So you don't get to say to God, the church doesn't need me. You don't get to point internal, get all emo. You, know, you don't get to do that. But you also don't get to arrogantly point at somebody else's gifting, somebody else's experiences, however God designed them to be. You don't get to say, the church doesn't need them, which also happens here in verse 21. So what I want you to do, because Scripture tells us, I want you to join a disciple group as a statement of your humility. I am not better than anybody else who's in this little group, in this Bible study, in this Sunday school class. I trust my creator. He's made me communal. He's made all them communal. He's given us all gifts. These gifts need to be used. He, he, he commanded me. He's my Lord. He's not just my Savior. And I am not better than any one of them, so I don't need to stay aloof. I mean, the, the isolated Christian is pretty much just standing on the outside of everything that's going on, even if what everything is going on is painful in the culture, and hanging out in the Versailles and going, let them eat cake. I know that didn't happen historically, but you get the idea. It was a smear campaign against Marie Antoinette, but you don't want to be standing on the outside saying, I'm better than this group. Not when Jesus died for that group. Because now you're saying you're better than Jesus. And then this happens. This is what happens. So if I devalue community, Christian community, or because I'm devaluing myself, I'm not needed, then this is what happens because I didn't show up and do my role. 
but what if I'm the quarterback and I'm awesome and I'm the best quarterback ever and I tell the left tackle, we don't need you. See, Paul addresses both sides. You can be down on yourself and say, oh, God didn't give me a spiritual gift. Oh, I'm not that awesome. Oh, I don't have much to offer. Oh, my experiences can't provide. Oh, I don't have any wisdom that I can get. Blah, blah, blah. You can do that to yourself. Or you could be the one in a stance of arrogance pointing to another player saying, oh, they're not that good. They don't deserve a contract. Don't put them on the field. And then what happens? You end up flat on your back like a goober because you needed them. Fifth, God's design of a church family is both purposeful and wise. Do you believe that? Guys, the irony is not lost on me. I know that because of coronavirus, I'm forced to preach online. Like People have been listening to sermons online for over a decade. A lot of people who call themselves Christians and will not engage in relationship with other Christians. And I'm begging you, would you please consider that the scriptures are true and they are telling you that God's design of the church is purposeful and it's wise. And that he loves you. He wants what's best for you. Read with me verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with, clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony amongst the members so that all the members care for each other. Do you believe that? See, if you've experienced a lack of harmony, it's easy to be marked by that hurtful event and go, there is no harmony in the church, when in fact that's not true. It's easy when you do not receive the proper care that you should have received to be marked and hurt by that and say, no one in any Christian church is being cared for properly. And that's simply not true. We fail each other. We hurt each other. We sin against each other. Those things absolutely happen. But we are a people that are marked by and defined by the forgiveness of God first forgiving us and then telling us, hey, if you have actually been marked by that, you're not going to have any trouble going out and being gracious with the relatively small sins of one human against another human being. Jesus said it this way. A king forgave a man of millions and millions of dollars. And that guy goes out and chokes out his friend for the 20 bucks that he owed him. And the king heard about it and was furious. That is God's view of how much somebody has been forgiven. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven of all your cosmic treason against God. And then how small a thing to then not forgive somebody else who hurts you. And I'm pleading with you today. Some of you are at home and you've been at home not for the last six weeks. You've been at home for years. And God loves you so much. And he has chosen in his wisdom to love you through the church. And what happened to you cannot define the church. God's word gets the authority for what the church is. 
You have been lied to by your enemy. He wants you to be alone because a sheep that is alone will be devoured by wolves. He has lied to you. One bad Christian or one good Christian on a bad day does not define the church of Jesus Christ. So join a disciple group to recognize God's wisdom. Recognize, out loud, say it with your lips. God, you are wise. You know more than I know. You can see more than I can see. And if in his wisdom he has knit together broken people, forgiven by his blood, and told them to act as a family, maybe, just maybe, that my submission to that wisdom means I need to get into relationship with people. I was 19 years old, and I was in a small groups in the church class up in Reading, uh, Simpson University. My small groups professor had a paper plate filled with sand. And he said, if I take this outside and it's a windy day, what are the odds of the sand sticking together? And we, of course, kind of like, yeah, zero. He says, this plate is your church. The sand are the people in it. And there is wind. Wind is a thing. He, he set it down on the desk and he pulled out a giant bottle of Elmer's glue and opened it and soaked the sand with Elmer's glue and we all just kind of laughed. And he says, small groups are Elmer's glue. And he spent the next 16 weeks trying to convince us that Sunday morning attendance is just hardly worth a darn because of somebody who attends every single Sunday and does not give of themselves, does not give financially, does not serve on a team, does not do friendship deeply with other people, one little offensive word from the pastor, boom, they're gone. One hurt feeling of somebody I thought was my friend that didn't say hi to me, boom, they're gone. So ARCF, I'm not joking with you. Disciple groups are not a pet project. A healthy Sunday school is not a pet project. A healthy Bible study is not a pet project. This is biblical Christianity as God designed it. And we need to get into a group in some form or fashion and do relationship deeply with each other if only to recognize that he is wise. If only for that. There are six reasons I'm preaching today. Any one of them is enough to obey. Like every good millennial, one of my favorite movies is The Karate Kid. Not that 2008 nonsense, the original. <laughs> I'm joking. I actually kind of liked the remake. I actually kind of liked it. But anyway, sorry, Jaden Smith. Um, let me jog your memory. Ralph Macchio is a high school kid who's getting bullied, and he asks... The neighbor, Mr. Miyagi, who knows karate, to teach him karate. Mr. Miyagi says, you come over and do chores for me and I'll teach you karate. Right? So far, so good. It sounds about right. If you're going to ask somebody to do this tremendous favor for you, it's going to take a lot of time. Okay, old man wants me to do some chores. Okay, so he has to what? Paint the fence. 
sand the floor. Wax on, wax off. Waxing his car. Okay? All these chores, day in and day out, until there's this, honestly, if you think about it, kind of a pretty emotional breaking point in the story where Ralph Macchio is ready to quit. Um, You said you were going to teach me karate, and all we're doing is these stupid chores, blah, blah, blah. It's late. It's, It's dark already. It's the end of this day. He's exhausted. And Mr. Miyagi finally says, show me paint fence. And as Ralph Macchio moves his hand up and then down, Mr. Miyagi attacks him and punches him, showing that the motion of what he had been taught actually deflects a punch and keeps him safe. And you can kind of see the look in Ralph Macchio's eye. Like, Whoa, um, okay. Show me wax on, wax off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's realizing that he has developed muscles and muscle memory that are keeping him safe in the middle of combat. Christian, you don't need to know why God said it. You just need to know that he said it. And you need to do it. I need to do it. Because we are not, sol- we are not following some fool We are following the one who through his cross has proven an immeasurable amount of love for you and for me. He deserves our trust by this point. He deserves it. Mr. Miyagi, let's be honest. He and Daniel-san, they had just met. Okay? But after that moment, do you think Daniel-san ever had a problem ever again? just blindly following Mr. Miyagi's instruction? When trust is earned, you don't have to ask for an explanation of every little baby step. And the God who bled and died for us did not just save us individually from our sins. He has done that, but he has saved us into a family. Because he is wise. Because he is loving. Because he himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, is a community And he is restoring everything that we broke in Genesis 3. He's making us a community. An individual Christian's an oxymoron. This doesn't make sense. Sixth. When a Christian is isolated from the church family, no one responds to that person's joy. No one responds to that person's pain. Because the rest of the church doesn't even feel it. Is that a bummer or what? I didn't want to end on a down note, but verse 26 ends on a down note. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. That's good. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. So Paul stated in the affirmative, I'm stating the exact same thing in the negative. When I have joy, do I have somebody to share my joy with so my joy can be complete? When I am suffering... Do I have someone with whom I can share my suffering? It's so beautiful and profound that God uses a body as an illustration because when I accidentally am barefoot or in flip-flops and I kick something and cause incredible pain in my foot, what does the rest of my body do? 
My mouth says something. My rest, my hands go to the, immediately to the place that is hurt. I sit down or I'm down on the floor in the fetal position, depending on how bad it hurt, whatever it was. Which if you have a toddler in your house, falling down to the floor is a dangerous thing because you just fell on another toy, you know. But the whole body knows something is wrong. And there is no part of your body going, that's just the toe, who cares? That's not how a body works. And the reason I stated it in the negative, and, and ARCF, this is not a rebuke of you. I've, I've seen this probably at every church I've been at. People get hurt sometimes when they don't receive the highest levels of pastoral care. And you're sitting there really frustrated going, that person never did relationship very deeply. They didn't tell us what was going on. We didn't know. And we feel terrible. But I can't share your joy and I cannot share your pain if you don't tell me. Brothers and sisters, if you're in a healthy group, a healthy Bible study, a healthy Sunday school class, where someone's hearing your heart every single week and praying for you, the deepest things in your life, the most important things that are on your heart, they're going to come out of your mouth. They're going to be shared and the group is going to know. And you're going to feel totally comfortable. Even Some of you don't feel it right now because you're maybe not in a group. You will get to the point where you're totally comfortable sharing intimate things with that group because they've proven their friendship to you. They've proven that they care. They're proven they're going to pray for you and, and, and lift you up to the throne of grace and ask God to do something. The family can only respond if they know. And, and so really, I'm not, I'm not talking about this. This isn't victim blaming. It, it, I'm explaining. If you've been deceived by the enemy to think that your past hurtful experience was indicative of the whole church and so you gave up on the church... It now becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Other Christians don't know what you're going through, so they can't support you. And it feeds what you've already believed. It feeds on itself. And I'm begging you, break out of it. Break out of it. Join a group so you can receive the highest possible level of care from your ARCF family. And that does not mean that just because you successfully communicated your need that we did a perfect job caring for you. We're still broken. But we can do a lot better with a need that we do know about than a need that we don't know about. Or if you're filled with joy over something, we can celebrate with you if we know about it. We can do a lot better if we do know about what's going on. I want to ask you what happens across a team when one person drops the ball. If there's an incomplete pass, we needed that first down, you know, we were this close and then we were going to win the Super Bowl, we were going to win the championship, yay, you know. And one person drops the pass. Does that person, do they lose the game and everybody else still wins? It's not how it works, is it? 
or let me flip it on its head. Because of a really well-thrown pass, and guys did a great job blocking, and a guy does a great job catching a touchdown. Yay, win the Super Bowl. Do people earn Super Bowl rings who were sitting on the bench? Actually, yeah. The whole organization wins together. The whole organization loses together. Okay? Everyone feels the agony of defeat in the whole stadium and people watching at home on TV. When one person drops a ball, everyone feels it. But if that person catches the ball, everyone feels it. The joys and the the sorrows are shared. They are shared experiences. It does not mean that something doesn't hit you more. It does. There's an individual element to all of this. But the communal element is that your family is supposed to feel it with you. So, if you're exploring faith, you're hanging out maybe for the first time with us online, this is the question I would like to ask you. Or this is what I'd like to say to you, I should say. This description of what the church looks like at its best, this is how God wants to care for you. He wants to take care of you, first and foremost, by washing away your sin. But he doesn't just wash away your sin to benefit and bless you. He does that. He does it for his own glory. But it's his joy to make you a part of a family that's going to need you and benefit from you. He wants to bless you through a community who was spiritually dead but is now alive. Death to life happens by forgiveness of sins from Jesus. He's the only one forgiving sins. He's the only one worthy to die in our place. And he has done that. So as you investigate what the church of Jesus Christ is about, I want to make clear to you, out of my love for you, you cannot investigate the church without investigating Jesus. If those are separate issues, we have a cult, or at least a huge problem. The church is a people who have been purchased back from condemnation, and we've been purchased back by Jesus. So we are defined by him, we are marked by his cross, we are marked by his empty tomb. Okay? So as you investigate faith, I just want you to be clear, uh, to be clear you've got to investigate Jesus first in the light of investigating his church. And those of you who are Christians, I'm going to shock you with the most surprising practical application that has ever come from Pastor Greg. Join a disciple group. Text me, call me, email me. All that you need right now to join a disciple group is to give your email out. That's it. Because Zoom invites are done by email. And we'll put you in one of our four groups. We'll form a fifth one, whatever, and you can be face-to-face and voice-to-voice with people who love Jesus and who love you. I want to share with you six reasons why you should join a disciple group. Join one to use your spiritual gift. Join one because that group needs you. Join one as a statement of you trusting God. Join one as a statement of humility. Join one to recognize God's wisdom. And join one to make sure you receive the highest possible care that we can give you. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to be done.
Holy Spirit, I beg you to pour some Elmer's glue over us right now. That we would strengthen each other, bless each other, encourage each other, teach, rebuke, everything, God, that you have commanded us. God, please align us with reality today. We ask for this in the strong and compassionate name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you, ARCF. Have a good week.